0: Um, all right, we're going to get started here. Um, so the first question that I want to start off with is, what is a leadership perspective that you hold that most people disagree with you on? So I'm going to go to Matt, because you're hot, you know, you're fresh. You just came off the speed. So if you want to kick us off and then any of the panelists can just butt in then after that.
1: Yeah. Next time, can you send us the questions beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a leadership perspective that may not—I uh, don't know. I, I you know, I, the the things that I talked about up, you know, here today. You know, I I believe in simplicity. I believe in, you know, how how do you drill it to down? How do you take stuff away, not add, and make systems more complicated? I think that just as people, and I don't think it's just leaders, I think as people, we always overcomplicate things and um, think that that additive process is how we add value. Uh, I think it's just the opposite, that you know, taking stuff away, simplify, simplify, simplify to its very base, most basic components because when it's simple, it's easy to communicate, it's easy to direct, it's easy to guide, it's easy to line. people understand it. Um, and sim- simple is hard, man. You know, I mean, people, uh, you know, think about, you know, um, some of the, you know, the bean bags they create, like giving tours. This is my favorite, man. Like we'll be given a tour, and you know we've got these automated machines that are spitting out bean bags every eight seconds, right? And people are like, "Well, I didn't expect that." <laughs> I'm like, what did you expect? I mean, we we have to sell a lot of these. Like, they they only sell for twenty bucks, so we got to sell a lot of them, man. Uh, so you you got to figure out some, uh, you know, ways, but. I mean, even the way that, uh, you know, our engineers simplified, uh, you know, that machine, we built it, uh, you know, in, in-house um, to be able to have, you know, greater capacity to be, you know, flexible. Um, so I'll go with
0: simple. All right. Any other panelists want to weigh in on that one?
2: Sure. Um, for me, I'd say it's um, the comments I made about trust. It, I, I think that um, not everyone probably agrees with me on, um, you know, kind of like trusting big is, is the way I would think about it, right? Is that, um, you know, a lot of folks in leadership, like they, they have a tendency to like, they hold things, right? And the way we've done them and the way I see it, and it has to be that way. Um, but again, that was the car analogy that I used, right? That um, usually when you take things that you really value and you go ahead and trust somebody else with it, they actually take better care of it than you do of your own crap, right? And um, And so, you know, that's what I would say.
3: Leadership, um, I, it's more of a pet peeve, so I don't know if everybody disagrees with this. It's a pet peeve of mine. I think a lot of people would would um, question, but talking about leadership positions, I'm kind of tired of talking about, is it a leadership position? Well, what position isn't, right? What position isn't? If leadership is influence, nothing less, nothing more. If leadership is about influence, what? Where? who are the people in our organizations that aren't supposed to have influence in their job? I don't think they exist, so I get this whole kind of, Let's not talk about leadership positions anymore, right? Yes, there's different types of leadership and different roles in the organization, but goodness, I want my organization full of leaders.
4: That's awesome. I'll take it, one more. Is this on? Hey, I'm Beth Kelly, I'm the one you haven't met yet. Uh, and you know I have an observation about leadership. We We hear that leadership is is a a huge problem in organizations and perhaps the cure-all for all of the the things that ail organizations is just to have better leaders and there's a real debate about are leaders born or are leaders developed and there are some folks who think that natural leadership tendencies is the only way that you get good leaders uh, and others that say oh you can train anyone for that and uh, and clearly it's it's a blend there are some folks who will never be good leaders no matter how much training you give them. And so it's so key to combine the good selection processes with the development processes, if you're gonna get the right people uh, to take the organization forward.
0: Yeah, Great. did you wanna add something, Denise? Or are you? <laughs> we'll move on to another question? Yeah, we'll move on to another question. Um, so one of the concepts that was brought up was this urge to get better, like, um, it, it almost seems like an intrinsic thing, and Beth, you just hit on it. Like, are great leaders made, or are they just naturally talented that way? So maybe I'd like to hear from the panelists about ways that they've seen that kind of urge to get better. Do, do you agree that great leaders are made, or they're just intrinsically great leaders? Like, how has that played out with the clients maybe you worked with, or the, in your businesses? <coughs>
3: The the Hi. <laughs> For <all of> you.
1: <laughs> no, I'm a very big believer that, uh, you know, just like anything you got, you got to work your craft, man. And, uh, you know, if you, you, you want to do uh, like just start, you know, doing um, by and continuing to, you know, practice and, you know, and read and, and, and learn and, uh, you know, adjust. I feel that uh, you know anything worth doing is uh, worth doing crappy at first, right? I don't think that most people walk out of the you know uh you know uh the the womb, walk out of the womb.
3: <laughs> I was a big baby.
1: <laughs> Still am. Uh and like are just like have it all figured uh, you know out as far as uh, leadership you know I mean it certainly wasn't that way for me uh, I've really had to you know work at it and think about it um, you know I mean if you go back uh, you know 10, 10 years ago uh, I don't know if I was a very good leader at all um, but uh, today I feel I feel at least better <laughs> than, I, than I did uh, you know 10 years ago and that's because I I, I worked at it
2: Uh, yeah, I'll echo that by saying, you know, again, you know, that was you know, one of the points I made is that when you're when you're leading, when you're on the front edge of something like kind of by definition, you're doing things that you haven't done before and you can't be fully experienced at. Um, so I, I would totally agree. It's an it's an iterative process. And the more important thing is that you're willing to start and you're willing to try because once you once you start, you know, your brain's kind of wired to, to keep you out of situations where you don't have control, where it might, it might be risky or you might not control the outcome, right? And uh, once you start doing something though, it's like once you jump out of the airplane, like you're going down, right? And, you're, and your brain's gonna enter a different mode where it's figuring out how do I innovate, how do I iterate, like, like how do I keep us safe, how do I keep us moving forward? So I, I would totally agree, you just gotta start doing it, so.
4: So we help companies hire people. And a lot of times they'll come to us and say, we want someone in a manager or a leadership position. We want them to have all this great experience, and we want to see the skill level bought into the organization. And so they're willing to spend a lot of money to bring folks into the, into the company with the skill set. They're not willing to spend that same amount of money developing their own people. And, you know, the biggest mistake in that is when you've got someone who really fits your culture well, and really understands the organization, they can have so much more credibility as a leader than if you bring somebody in from the outside with a big long pedigree of all these different groups that they've managed. And you know, probably half the time we find that those those people just don't even work out in their organizations because they don't have the culture fit. So it's so much more beneficial to do the development with your own folks if you can possibly do that.
5: Yeah, I'll just add to that. I think, uh... You know, it, our, our world no longer allows us to hire and fire our way to having the right group of people. You know, you can't just let go of people when they don't fit their job anymore. Uh, it's too expensive. takes too long. Um, and at the same time, uh, the challenges that are facing people are changing so quickly that if you get hired for this job today, it doesn't mean that you, you have everything that it's going to take to do that same job in six months. Um, we all have to see the daily challenges of work as development opportunities. And uh, this is one of the things I notice um, a, a lot in some of the pressure to get work done is that one of the old habits we have in, in leadership is to be really focused on things like um, holding people accountable and, you know, what do we do when people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. and um, really focusing on how can we get people to do these things and I often say You're probably asking completely the wrong question Um, You know, what are the opportunities? Inherent in these moments to be deeply curious about what's happening for this person and in this moment that offers everyone opportunity to to change and develop and um, to learn how to think differently to meet not just this challenge, but next week's challenge
0: that you don't see coming. Next question is, um, everyone seems to say negative things about millennials. What are a few positive things you could say, but what do people get wrong about millennials? And maybe, Dr. Colley, because you're closest to them, you know, you're a college professor,
3: a- maybe Actually. you could start. Actually, you know what? Millennials are out of college now. We're into Gen Zs. So millennials, they're out working with you all now, but... Um, man we've got it I mean one I'm not a big fan of talking about generational differences because if you look at data on almost any variable there's way more differentiation within than between groups okay so um, yes there are some things where they differ as a group but to start to just talk about these categories of people like a Gen X or a baby boom or whatever you might be that they're all the same is is ridiculous there's tons of differentiation, right? So that's number one. Number two, I mean, it's one of the, um, their, um, their care for what they do and their hope is unbounded. They're in the midst of, I mean, I, if I start to watch anything on TV, I get immediately depressed. I can't wait to go to, to, to work the next day because these young people aren't dismayed by a lot of that crap that's going on in the world and they have Im- incredible hope about what could be. Capture that, right? Capture that when you get these young people in your organizations. Don't hide them away. Um, give them a voice and that hope is contagious, right? They bring uh, uh, amazing skills and amazing care for what they do and, and a hope. And I mean, I, I get a great joy of being with them every day.
5: I'd I love to jump in on this closer by telling a quick little story. Sure. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, a group asked me if they could use my space to host a big breakfast with a speaker. The speaker was 31 years old and the topic was how to work with millennials. It sold out like within 24 hours, filled up the space and so the speaker comes in and um, does this thing. Um, Basically what he did is he told a story about he and his brother for about 20 minutes, and then he said, "Okay, um, enough about me. I didn't really bring anything. Did anybody have any questions?" And um, all hands in the room shot up. And and I'm like, "Oh, this is really interesting because he really didn't offer a lot." And then here's all these questions. And as the people in the room started asking questions, there are things like, um, you know, how do I get the millennials to? Uh, have a regular work day like I do and how do I get them to do this and how do I get them to show up and all these things. What occurs to me as I'm listening to this is basically every question was a form of the same question, which is how can we get them to be like us? And I thought this is adventures and asking the wrong questions. And so when people ask Questions about generational differences. I'm often curious, you know, what are the stories we're telling ourselves and that are prompting those questions? Are are we even asking the right
2: ones? I'll add, you know, uh, one thing to that. Um, You know, your comment was kind of, what what do we, um, you know, how do we feel about people who are sort of speaking negatively about them? And and um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting because. We sit around and, well, I'd like to think I didn't do this, but I'll use the we. We sit around and we make negative comments about millennials, right? It'd be like making negative comments about your kid, and then when they grow up to be in jail, like being shocked by that, right? Like So everyone's sitting around complaining, and they're like, yeah, oh, they're not doing what we want, right? And it's like, well, what the hell do you think is going to happen? Like you're sitting around complaining about them all the time, right? Um, <laughs> right? but. Here's the thing. The the key is, I think, really, you know, as Brian was saying, like they're wired differently. You just you have to get that right, and and it's the same as Denise is saying, like they're they're just wired a little bit differently. You have to take some time, spend a little time to understand that, um, because it can be a really really powerful tool. Like work is really different. The, the older generations are wired for like better, faster, cheaper and that's not the world anymore right um, you know again you, every time you buy a new phone or a new computer like you don't care anymore that it's we used to care like ooh it's a little bit faster than the last one we don't care anymore right like we care about features we care about these like higher level of thinking millennials are wired perfect for that and you know they're whether you like it or not like they're the largest living generation right they own your workforce they own your customer base And if, if you don't want to come along with it, I got like, it's going to be a big, big problem, right? So you just kind of have to accept it and you have to take the time, I think, to really understand how they're wired differently. So
0: what other shifts do you see, um, you know, with a generational shift in the workplace, what other shifts do you see that are happening? I mean, you guys hit on some of those in terms of like feedback and employee reviews, but, um, you know, in in all in your businesses or in the companies you're consulting with, what are some of the big shifts that you see that maybe are on the cusp of changing or um, that are just upcoming that you know, people in the audience can, can be prepared for um, beyond what maybe we discussed today? What are some of the other things that are changing?
4: So one of the things that we track with and that we see with our clients is uh, the advent of the gig economy and distributed workforce. And so most of us are able to work remotely uh, and in various locations. We have uh, folks spread all over the country and sometimes all over the world. And how do you, uh, the challenge is, how do you build relationships with people when you only see them via, e- via teleconferencing or when you're, you're only communicating with them electronically? And how do you build the kind of engagement that uh, Mike and Matt were talking about today, when you've got folks who are working for you like they do for Shipt or for Uber or for Lyft, and uh, and having them really represent your organization in the way that you want to? It's it's a challenge and it's a conundrum that nobody has a solution to yet, and so you know whoever comes up with it's going to make a million dollars probably. So, but that's that's the biggest challenge that we that I think that that's coming forward for, for our, our workforce.
3: Anyone
2: else? Go ahead. I'll add one thing is that just that it, on the gig economy topic, um, I think that we, we're going to start to see a change in that the risk isn't that your millennials or your Gen Z workers are gonna leave you and go somewhere else. What's gonna happen is that they're gonna start their own operation. That is what's gonna happen, because most of the companies, they're not not getting this, right? And they can't find what they need. It's very easy to start a business right now, um, probably easier than it has. You know, for decades we saw entrepreneurship decline, that's changing, and I think you're going to see that really, really reverse for many of the reasons that it's easy to work from anywhere, gig economy, they can move in and out of jobs. You know, we complain about millennials and that they job hop, but then like we want things like Uber and Lyft and Shipt where it's all about like moving in and out of a job on like an hourly basis, right? It, it, that is really, really the risk is that your, your millennials and your Gen Z, they're going to become your competition because they can't find what they need somewhere else, so.
0: So I know Brian, you you didn't want to talk about this, but what is the difference between Gen Z and Millennials? Like, what are some of the differences that you guys are seeing seeing in those two different um, spheres?
3: I, I I'm not sure we know enough yet. Gen Z still right. I think Gen Z maybe starts at people born in '97 or something like that. So, um, you know, there's we haven't seen them in the workforce yet. They're just Gen Z would just be coming into the workforce. I think my right. My son is 21, and he was born in '97, and so we'd be right at the the cusp of that. Um, I, I think it's going to be similar. I don't I mean I think it's going to be similar along those lines. I mean they're they're growing up in an environment. A big part of their memory will be our economy that struggled, right? So these these are um, in that last recession that seemed to go on, and some people are we, you know, where are we in it now? But a lot of what their living memory was or was around um, in their families around um, financially challenging, a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of very uh, fiscally-minded, careful decisions, but also this unfettered kind of um, take advantage of things and, and look for opportunities in life. Um, I'd, I'd second that. I think that the, what, they're, what we're gonna see more of is um, because the gig economy becomes a, a real option for a lot of people, the flexib- they tra- they'll trade flexibility and autonomy for salary. For a big part, salary still important, but we're getting to a point where it is. It's truly what research would tell us: pay people fairly, right? And that so they're looking to be paid fairly. And if you're not paying people fairly, you have no no chance of motivating them. By the way, right? You got to pay people fairly. Um, but then they're looking for the, the, these things that we might be able to offer around flexibility and autonomy and another week of vacation. Whatever, all of those things are really, really meaningful. A lot more meaningful to them than they are. To, um, other older generations.
0: I wanted to open it up in case maybe the texting wasn't working. Does I wanted to open it up if anyone has any questions, you can just raise your hand and I'll call on you. Just so you know. Um, but uh, one. So if anyone doesn't have any other questions, um, I want to end it with uh, what is one like thing that keeps coming up of a question that someone asks you related to what you do and. All of you, you know, here, the reason you're talking is because you have experience around people, culture, business. Um, What's like one thing that you're like, man, I feel like every day someone asks me this question and you have the same answer. You know, they keep asking, you're you almost sick of answering this question. So I'd like each one of the panelists to answer that. I'll
3: go go first. It's really quick. It's not the question, but it's the answer that they give people. Especially my account, my wonderful accounting minded people, my engineer minded people, um, anybody that studies something that, where there's black and white answers. My answer almost always is it's de- it depends. The people ask me all the time is it this or is it that? And it, it depends. It's a, it, the context matters a lot. So let's study and figure it out. So that's mine.
1: <laughs> so you make beanbags for a living?
4: Yep My question's a little more complicated than that one But uh, we are often asked You know, where do you find good talent today? Well, you can't clone it So we've got all there is right here But that's the big challenge for everybody Where do you find good talent?
5: Well, I... uh...
4: My family and
5: friends, after six and a half years of um, this business, still say to me, Can you tell me again what you do? <laughs> yes. And um, so it's one of the trickiest questions. And I think it's because what we do doesn't fit into the typical boxes of how we think about consulting or coaching or leadership development or org development kind of work because we are so iterative and we're trying to blend science and art and all sorts of things with business concepts and uh, people don't have containers for that. So um, still trying to nail down the answer to that question. Stay tuned.
2: (laughs) Um, Boy, we've had a million questions I feel like I get asked all the time, but um, one that I definitely get asked that's more practical is um, what are we doing to identify and train the next generation of leaders within the company. That's probably our number one problem uh, as a company right now is that you have to identify uh, and you have to figure out how to train folks that um, maybe they're not in a management position today and they won't be tomorrow, but they're kind of like next generation leaders within the company. Um, and for us, you know, we don't I don't have a great answer to that right now. I can tell you what we're doing, um, which is that, you know, we have um, you know we're working harder to get away from having kind of executive and then like next layer next layers of management and operate more as one co- cohesive um, leadership team. Um, and identifying people and pulling them into that team even if they're not managing people yet so they can start to get exposed to the conversations we're having, the things we're talking about. They're getting access to messages and communication uh, within the company earlier than some of the other staff um, so that they're kind of becoming more aligned. Um, But that's definitely something I get asked all the time is is identifying and training next, next generation leaders, so. Um,
1: I, I'll, I'll now go with a little bit more of a serious answer. Um, so the uh, you know the, the question is usually about uh, you know retention and uh, you know I get uh, you know asked like like what kind of uh, turnover uh, you know do we have and so like we're running at about uh, I think about around five percent four or five percent uh, you know uh, turnover. We do not pay the uh, you know the highest. Um, we use Salary.com and you know kind of peg it to the fiftieth uh, you know percentile. Um, it is all those other things that we're doing that have really been able to make it a you know great place to work and why people uh, you know enjoy it. You know you keep on stacking those things on top of the, uh, you know each other. Um, you know with time and uh, it, it makes it a very rewarding uh, you know place. I mean I hear our people talking about you know how it feels like a family. It's their family there, which just it is so so cool to uh, to to see. So um, and. All that stuff kind of leads into like better recruiting, right? Because as, as you're growing, you're finding uh, you know out people, and then as I share the uh, you know the message, I mean, part of uh, you know what I, uh, I'm sharing is that I'm always you know, like we're trying to recruit people. I mean, nearly every culture tour I give, and I give just one, I give one culture tour a, a you know month at Comfort Research. It's 90 minutes long, and. Uh, Usually there's one person in there because I start the uh, culture tours with um, like, hey, what do you expect? Uh, what, what do you want to get out of today? And there will always there seems to always be one person. that's like, I'm looking. I, I want to work here. I want a job, man. And they're usually employed. I'm like, that's cool as heck. So um, the culture thing works. <laughs>
0: We got another question that came in and, and maybe Matt, you can speak to this because you guys have operations in Michigan, Tennessee, and Utah, but it says, how does West Michigan compare to other parts of the country when considering work culture? Does West Michigan nice help us or hurt us? you know there's always differences
1: uh, you know throughout uh, you know the the country I mean you know Salt Lake City, you got your mormons you know Tennessee, you got your uh, you know southern Uh, you know, Baptists, uh, you know, you're either a drunk or a teetotaler, right? Um, Down there. (laughs) So true, right? Um, But uh, no, I mean, there's more commonalities than there are, you know, differences at the end of the day. You know, know, this whole thing about millennials and like, it's like, how do you sum up an entire generation? How do you sum up an entire state? How do you sum up, like, yeah, there's differences. You know, they talk funny down in Tennessee. Um, my plant manager calls me sir. I'm like, you're 60. Um, don't call me sir, man. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but that—that that is, uh, you know, that's how he was raised. So uh, it's little differences um, that, uh, that that we see. They're 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 not big. They're not work differences. You know, you still set you know a tone and overall, you, you know, you're using the core values to recruit like-minded people, and you'll find them no matter where you are.
5: Mike, I'd like to jump in on. All right, go ahead. Um, so from my perspective, um, I see it a little bit differently. The work that I do is um, West Michigan Nice is actually one of the most intractable, diff- difficult things that um, I encounter in the work that I do with teams. Um, in order to do the work that people have to do now, um, iterating, failing fast, uh, all of those things as we're experimenting our way through, if if we can't communicate candidly to one another, give good, clear, fast feedback, um, it's it's expensive and it's inefficient. Um, teams, people are wasting tons of time being nice to each other. Um, I I was on a plane not long ago with a man a big global uh, manufacturing company, and and I said. I do a lot of workshops on the topic of failure. So we were talking specifically about failure, and he said, um, yeah, for years now, our mantra has been fail fast. People have to. And I said, and do they? He said, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, One of his plans was in West Michigan. And um, I said, you know why they're not failing fast? He said, I have absolutely no idea. I said, "Well, let me ask you another question. What's the strength of your organization? What are you the best at?" And he said, "Well, we're people first, and you know, especially in West Michigan, people just really care about each other." And I just looked at him and said, "Dot, dot." You know, sometimes the the dark side or the downside to the best thing about us, you know, how we really care about people and take good care of people, mm-hmm. is that. When we have a cultural value like West Michigan nice, it it literally gets in our way of the other things that we're
0: trying to get done. All right. Any other questions? Anyone? Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for being here, and and thank you guys for coming. I appreciate it. So, uh, can we give a round of applause for our panelists? I'd like. To-